Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. For the second week in a row, we unfortunately have to start this week's show with gun violence. Less than two weeks after 10 people were killed right here in Buffalo in our own backyard, a second mass shooting took the lives of 19 children and two teachers at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. And because these two shootings happened so close together, it's reignited the national debate over access to guns, including here in New York. Governor Kathy Hochul said this week that she wants to raise the age to buy some guns in New York to 21. And she says that idea came from one thing that both shooters had in common, their age. The common denominator, there are three. The weapon was an AR-15. The perpetrator was a male. And the age of the perpetrator was 18. I don't want 18-year-olds to have guns. At least, they, at least not in the state of New York. But with the legislative session scheduled to end next week, it's going to be a scramble to get that done and other new gun laws. Let's get into it with John Campbell from WNYC and Gothamist. John, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So can we clarify what the governor meant by raising the age to 21? Would this just be for AR-15s? Is this for all guns or do we know? Well, the governor said at a minimum, she said that twice, at a minimum, it would apply to AR-15s in her mind, but she said she would look at everything. Now, negotiations at this point seem to have focused on AR-15s and AR-15 style uh, rifles. Those are semi-automatic long guns, right. rifles. And those are the ones that we have seen used in many, many mass shootings, including the one in Buffalo, including the one in Texas, both, in both of those instances, those were 18-year-old males who legally purchased the weapons. In the case of Buffalo, they, the, the alleged perpetrator illegally modified it after it put a high-capacity magazine on. You can only have low-capacity, 10-capacity 10, 10 magazines in New York. Uh, and so the governor wants a law that raises the age that you can purchase that weapon from 18 to 21 in New York. Some other states have done that in some form or fashion in recent years, including oh. California, including Florida, and those are kind of pending in the appeals courts right now. In California, there was a ruling that, that perhaps it, it violates the Second Amendment. Florida has been upheld so far, but the governor said she doesn't care. She, she can't let the courts uh, get in the way of, of what she thinks is good policy, and she's going to give it a shot. It's interesting because as we read about these gun laws, the AR-15s, I thought that they were banned under the SAFE Act, and to some extent they were. But since then, uh, gun manufacturers, some of them more of the online retailers, have kind of done modifications to make them legal and, and really did, I, I googled, can you buy an AR-15 in New York? And what you get as the first results is, well, you can, but you have to do all this stuff, and here's a step-by-step -step guide, which is really interesting to me. Um, let's talk about the, not really the politics of it, but we have three days of session left, John. Can they get this done? It's a last-minute measure. I could see them staying late to do it, but I'm just wondering if the will is there. Well, it's that measure, and there's a few other measures that they're looking at, possibly expanding the red flag law to include other potential reporters that can, can get an extreme risk pr protection order that... 
uh, you know, would, would allow a judge to essentially take somebody's guns away. Yeah. Um, there are a number of things. There are three days left, but you have a Democratic Senate. You have a Democratic Assembly. You have a Democratic governor. They all want to show that they are taking some action in response to these brutal, heinous shootings, including one in our state. Uh, so I, they are moving in that direction. Uh, but listen, things come together, fall apart in Albany all the time at the drop of a hat. You know, it could happen. It could not happen. There's only three session days left. I think right now they are moving towards something happening. But how broad that is, that remains to be seen. You asked her at her press conference on uh, Thursday or Wednesday when she was at the Interstate uh, Gun Violence Task Force. Uh, about micro stamping, which is an idea that's been around for several years. We talked a little bit about it last week as well with Brian Kavanaugh. Um, what do you think about that? You know, there hasn't been the the political will, not really political, but there nobody's been convinced in the legislature to do this. Yeah. Is this something that will push them, do you think, or is that something that is just not going to come together? Well, this certainly seems like the best time, or, or the best chance in more than a decade for micro stamping to pass. That is something that Mayor Michael Bloomberg of New York City had pushed way back in 2010, and it actually failed in the Senate. Uh, well, they, they pulled the vote before it was almost certain failure. Um, and it is something that has been brought up year after year. It goes away for a couple years. It comes back a couple years. And this year, for the first time, it really seems to have a real chance of passage. But there are a lot of details. This isn't a thing where you just flip a switch and then micro-stamping starts tomorrow. Micro-stamping is uh, you fire a bullet and a, a microscopic stamp with your identifying information is on that bullet. It's yeah. supposed to help law enforcement. The idea is uh, for, for cold cases, things like that, or things that otherwise would be cold cases, this would help you uh, have a lead as to who originally purchased the weapon that was used. Uh, it seems headed in the direction of passage, but there is lobbying from the gun, uh, the gun industry, which does not want to do this. It's only really happened in one state so far. That's California. And even California, they passed it in 2007. And for more than a decade, it was toothless. The gun manufacturers found this way around it or that way around it. Now there has been some changes to the law in the last couple of years that they, they finally are uh, getting to a point of near implementation of implementation. Well, we we are out of time, unfortunately, but I think that one's going to be really interesting to watch. You know, since we've been looking at that one for so many years and it just hasn't moved, is this going to be that moment? So we'll see. John Campbell from WNYC and Gothamist, thank you. Thank you. Staying now with news from the state capitol, survivors of adult sex crimes like rape or forcible touching will soon have some new legal options in New York. The Adult Survivors Act passed the state legislature this week with almost unanimous support. The new law will give survivors the option to finally have their day in court if the statute of limitations has expired, regardless of when they were assaulted. And we were there at the state capitol to watch it all happen. Take a look. A new door opened this week for survivors of adult sex crimes in New York. A new law called the Adult Survivors Act will open a special one-year look-back window for victims to sue their alleged assailants and any institutions that might have helped them. That's to give victims of crimes like rape or forcible touching a way to seek justice if the statute of limitations has expired, even if it was decades ago. It was sponsored by Assemblymember Linda Rosenthal, a Democrat from Manhattan. 
a person who has suffered such horrific abuse cannot be forced to come forward and speak out before they are ready. It could take many years to process what has happened to them and even longer to make the grueling decision to come forward and try to bring a case. Victims and supporters had been pushing for the law for the last few years, but it didn't have enough support in the state assembly. That changed on Monday when the bill passed nearly unanimously with only three votes against. Assemblymember Andy Goodell, a Republican from Chautauqua County, was one of those no votes. We also look at justice and equity and fairness for both parties. Because sadly, sometimes, sometimes a defendant is wrongfully accused. It was signed into law on Tuesday by Governor Kathy Hochul, who was joined by lawmakers and advocates at the state capitol. So the trauma that comes with experiencing sexual assault does not arbitrarily adhere to a limit of time, nor can justice be held to a period of time. And going forth after today in New York, it will not. The bill had passed the state Senate earlier this year, where it received unanimous support. It was carried there by Senator Brad Hoyleman, also a Democrat from Manhattan. Today, New York recognizes that no matter who your abuser was, whether they are a family member or a former president, you deserve your day in court. The new law will take effect in six months when the look back window opens. That's when victims of adult sex crimes will be allowed to file lawsuits against their assailants and anyone else who might have protected them. One of those victims is Marissa Hochstetter, who says she was sexually assaulted by her OBGYN. It's about putting the power back in the hands of survivors. You do not need to even exercise that power to know that you now have it. And to be here and to feel that and to know what we have accomplished and be able to accomplish, no matter what else happens, um, it's an amazing feeling. The law only allows for civil recourse, so victims can file lawsuits, but prosecutors can't revive any criminal charges. The window to file those lawsuits will open in late November and close one year later. And it's also possible the look back window will be extended, but that's a conversation lawmakers will likely have next year. But turning now to politics, New York once again has a lieutenant governor. Former Congressman Antonio Delgado was sworn into the state's number two job on Wednesday with his wife and kids in New York City. He was picked for the job a few weeks ago by Hochul after her former LG, Brian Benjamin, was indicted on federal corruption charges and resigned. That didn't come up at the event, but Delgado said he wants to work to restore public trust in government. More and more people have less and less access to their own government as money continues to overwhelm our political system and squeeze the vast majority of Americans out. It's putting a profound strain on our democracy. We must take this problem head on, and we can. Now, Delgado will also be running for a full term as LG in this year's elections. First up is the June primary. Delgado will be on the ballot with two other Democrats who want the job. Those are Ana Maria Archila, a progressive advocate, and Diana Reyna, a former New York City Council member who also served as deputy borough president in Brooklyn under Eric Adams. This week, we're introducing you to Reyna, 
who's running for LG alongside Congressman Tom Suozzi, a Democrat running for governor. And just a note, we recorded this interview with Reyna before the shootings in Buffalo and Texas, so we don't discuss new gun laws here. Diana, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. A real pleasure to be here with you, Dan. Thank you. So you're new to our audience. We've introduced you a few times during the show at the various events that you've been at, but I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a little bit about your experience and how you got here. I appreciate, you know, that you have given me this opportunity to really tell people who I am, right? Um, I'll start with, I'm a mom of two young boys. Um, I have my husband, 20-year marriage. He's been a lieutenant, he's a lieutenant in the department of uh, the New York City Police Department. He's a 25 year veteran. Um, we have uh, been blessed to be uh, born and bred in the state of New York, in the city of New York, in Brooklyn. I, I have worked in government uh, as a chief of staff. I have been a district leader, state committee woman. Uh, I served in the city council 12 years. Uh, and served as deputy borough president for Brooklyn uh, under Eric Adams. Uh, this is an opportunity to be able to uh, come back into government after having left four years ago, uh, because I didn't like what I saw happening. Uh, we have a an affordable house, an affordability crisis, Dan. Not even an affordable housing crisis. I understand what it is to have proven leadership, a proven track record. Uh, it's the results of our actions in government. We have to know how to govern and seek uh, what are those results, um, working with people, stakeholders, coming together, uh, holding people accountable, holding yourself accountable uh, as the elected uh, official. This is an opportunity to bring back those skills when it's much needed. It's an extensive resume in terms of public service, for sure. And something that we've learned over the past year, I think, is that we really need to have a lieutenant governor who is prepared to step in and be governor at the drop of a hat. We saw it happen with Kathy Hochul last year. We've seen it happen with David Patterson about 13 years ago when Elliot Spitzer left. Can you uh, tell our viewers what about your experience has prepared you for this moment where you could step in and take that role? Of course. This is where you have an understanding, an ability uh, to understand how to govern. Um, people find what is uh, being an elected official as if it's glamorous. Um, this is a 24-7 job. Uh, it is unforgiving. Uh, it is about listening to the people with ideas, uh, being able to understand. We may not uh, agree on everything, but we're certainly having conversations that will percolate what can be actionable items that we can work on together. Working with the legislature, being able to uh, leave the politics at the door, check in uh, what is your leftist and right uh, partisan um, ideals. Uh, because when it comes to governing, people are tired of the politics and people want to see that they can go to work safely, that they can trust that their kids are going to go to school safely, that our elderly can be able to enjoy a beautiful day outside without having to fear young people who are 
brawling in the middle of the street. You know, tell me about what kind of lieutenant governor you would be. Some lieutenant governors have really taken a back seat and followed the governor. Others have, have taken a more active role in some specific issues. Tell me what you see as your role in the administration if you're elected. So I want to just share, Tom and I share the same values. Um, we're first generation Americans, right? Um, I proudly uh, wave my uh, dual citizenship of being both Dominican American, um, the opportunity to be able to uh, reflect that in this administration as a Latina, um, to be able to call upon all the mayors, right, and meet with them frequently so that we can start planning on economic development, uh, community development. We've had conversations around what are uh, fentanyl and opioid uh, overdoses that are taking over communities upstate. The same is happening in the Bronx. And so when we start connecting the dots, we can really build uh, what is uh, a triage moment to be able to address uh, what are uh, dire needs, uh, things that are pertinent to people and are impacting people right now, this instant. Working to make sure that uh, for public safety, we're not just talking to law enforcement, but we're bringing law enforcement along with community, along with the DAs, along with special prosecutors, the chief administrative judge, and let's review everything. Let's understand what's happening with the discovery uh, process. How do we improve that? Where are the changes that we have to seek and implement them? You know, as we talk about crime, uh, the lawmakers and Governor Kathy Hochul did make some changes in the budget to the state's bail reform laws. I know you and Congressman Swazi think that they should have gone a little bit further and added a dangerousness standard for judges to abide by. Is, is there anything beyond that that you think the state should be doing to address crime? I know you have experience with this when you were in the New York City Council. You dealt with crime in your district as well. Absolutely. And the model that I had described where we work with everyone at the table, um, we have to understand that there is uh, a very complex discovery process uh, that we have to educate ourselves on, raise awareness about, and fix uh, what is not working. And so this is an opportunity uh, for people not to close the door because they're stuck on the fact that we're claiming bail reform needs to go back to what it was. That's not the case. What we're talking about is that there are certain areas we have to revisit. Uh, the intention of raising the age was fantastic for some, but what it's also doing is preying on our young who won't be charged because we've raised the age and now gangs are recruiting them so that they can carry illegal firearms. That was not the intention of raising the age. You know, another top issue in the news right now is reproductive rights in New York, given the Supreme Court's expected decision in Roe v. Wade to overturn it. I'm wondering where you are on that. The state has uh, is setting aside about $35 million in funding for abortion providers to expand and give more access in anticipation of people coming in from out of state. Is there anything else that you think the state should be doing or uh, or would be doing in the future to address that? We are strong leaders in New York State. Um, I think that there's uh, an opportunity here to pay close attention to what's happening at the federal level. Um, we have uh, what would be Tom and I, our pro-choice pro 
advocates, right? We believe in uh, protecting reproductive rights for women. Um, I, as a woman, uh, want to make sure uh, that we are doing our very best to protect those rights, uh, working with organizations. But what I will not tolerate um, is what I saw just recently where protesters, extremists, are disrupting communion in a church. That is not necessary. That is where the extremists take the conversation and, be, and turn it into violence. All right, much more that we could go through, but we do have to leave it there. Diana Reyna, a Democrat running for Lieutenant Governor alongside Congressman Tom Swazi, who's running for governor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. And just a reminder once again that the primary election will be held on June 28th. For Democrats, candidates for governor and lieutenant governor will be on the ballot. For Republicans, it's just candidates for governor. But turning back now to the recent mass shootings in Buffalo and Texas. Communities across New York held events in the early part of the week to reflect on the shooting in Buffalo and demand action. WMHT's Will Pedigo captured the conversation in Albany. Now, of course, the world wants us to just move on and that normalize these things that transpire, but we refuse. Part of our resistance is definitely taking time out, pausing and reflecting on what transpired. So I thank you all for joining us in this effort because when something happens to one of our communities, it happens to us all. Okay, what I'm gonna do is libation if y'all can stop what you're doing and give due respect that what has happened. Marcus D. Morrison. Ashe. Andre McNeil. Ashe. Aaron Salter Jr. Ashe. Today we come together in sorrow, we come together in grief, but we also come together in joy to uplift the lives that were lost, to uplift our community and be there for one another while people are grieving. Um, and, and also to spread the word that white supremacy will not be tolerated in the city of Albany. Um, we're also fortunate to have a, a nice cookout for community members and uh, a clothing giveaway um, and just really come together in solidarity to show that uh, we care about what's going on, not only in the city of Albany, but across the country and especially in New York State. As a community, we need to, or we should, get together for things other than black death. We should get together for things like black joy, unity, being together as one, because when one of us feels something, everybody feels something. It doesn't matter if it's in California, Buffalo, Maryland, Florida, wherever. We all feel that. Whispers in the concrete saying, I can't breathe. Birthdays, tournaments, memories snatch as they bleed. Take the knee off the neck, he completed his deed. This country is using braille, they omit to, to the disease. Clans run, running rampant in the chilly Buffalo streets. Unfortunately, in our society, random acts of violence, um, mass shootings, gun violence, Racialized violence is something that's becoming so normal because it's not in your town or your backyard. People are pivoting right to the next day and moving on with their lives. And I think we need to pause, reflect, honor the people whose lives were lost, and also just have some recognition for what transpired and how it's very systemic, systemically rooted. And um, not isolated incidents are actually all connected. 
lives, beautiful lives, gone. That was somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's sister, somebody's brother, and they're gone just like that because of white supremacy, racism. This 18-year-old child, because he's a child, should have never had a gun in the first place. Just a year prior, the FBI was looking into him because he was making threats of shooting up his school. Those threats of shooting up a school manifested to going to tops and killing a bunch of black people, innocent black people, that just wanted to get home to their families. My heart is aching as a black woman. I'm tired of this. I'm absolutely tired of this. But guess what? I'm gonna fight damn hard to make sure that these people didn't die in vain. I'm here because I'm against white supremacy. Um, I'm tired of our brothers and sisters being killed and being targeted because of the color of their skin. I'm here to dismantle the system that is created to the, um, oppress people of color. Um, and I'm here to liberate uh, my people. We come together to really um, galvanize our resources to address these issues. Yes, we're coming here to uplift Buffalo and, and, and stand in solidarity for the brothers and sisters that we lost. The people that look like my father, that look like my brother, that look like my grandmother, that look like my aunts, that look like my uncles, you know? So we're all really directly connected. And what's really powerful is that this is the capital of New York State. And so all of the laws and policies and legislation, they're made here. So I'm here to stand here at the, in the capital of New York State to stand down, 10 toes down, I say, that's what we say in the hood, 10 toes down against systemic racism, against the people that are in power who continue to fuel it and allow it. And uh, we wanna make sure that we come in solidarity to do that together, to uplift the people and also address our trauma as, um, on a, a social justice standpoint and also on a restorative justice standpoint. The next step is to see how state and national leaders respond, if at all, and we'll be watching. But we do have to leave it there for the week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.